Now, let me read you um, from the book of Ruth as we continue our, um, our study of that book. Um, we're in chapter 2, verse 4. I'll read through verse 17. So you follow in your copies as we, um, as we take a look again at that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired, the very mind of God as black words on a white page. It reads like this. Now behold... Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back from Naomi, came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and have come to to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back, kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and let her grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. Guys, the the part of the story that I just read you um, uh, takes place uh, early one morning. Uh, with two financially destitute women, um, widows, barren. They don't have any children, and in particular, they don't have any sons. But it's these two social outcasts who are up early one morning trying to figure out what in the world are we going to do? Uh, by the end of the workday, by the end of that workday, uh, in a in a span of about twelve hours, everything is turned upside down for them. 
Uh, by the end of verse 17 that I just read, uh, starvation has been averted and um, there has been a radical, um, a radical shift, a, a radical turn in, in their circumstances. Now, guys, this is something that I don't want you to miss because I, 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 think, it's, I, I think it's so important. Um, this, this radical shift, this radical turn in, in, in their circumstances, um, all of it has been accomplished without the slightest hint of anything miraculous. No burning bushes, no, uh, no manna falling from heaven, no water coming out of a rock, no, um, no audible voice from God. None of that. Well, but I mean, Dr. Young, doesn't uh, God still do those things? Well, well, of course he does. But guys, um, you know, I, I have been a Christian 44 years. And in the, in the, over the course of those 44 years, God has never spoken to me audibly. I have never witnessed um, a miracle in the strictest sense of that term. And, and, and you know, I bet most of you, if not all of you, would say pretty much the same thing. But what I have seen, and, and I've seen it more times than I, than I can count, is, is God dealing with me the same way that you see him dealing with Naomi and Ruth in this story. He is moving silently in the ordinary. Um, his fingerprints are all over this. It was what one commentator called the silent dexterity of God's sovereign hand. Don't you love that? The silent dexterity of God's sovereign hand. And most of the time, I can never detect that hand. I can never see that hand until afterwards. Looking back on, um, on what has just happened. You know, guys, when I started this series on the book of Ruth, I started by pointing you to a verse out of John. Uh, John 17, 3, that says, and this is eternal life, that you should know God, that you know God. And, and, and the implication was that you are going to get to know God better by our study of the book of Ruth. Well, if all that's so, and I, and I think it is, then this observation is huge. It's huge, folks, because it, you, it's teaching us something about how he works in our lives. It's, it's teaching us something about what we should expect from God. We expect the unexpected. It's, it's teaching us something about what we should look for. We're looking for that which is invisible. And, and isn't that consistent with the New Testament? I mean, doesn't the New Testament say, uh, you know, we want my faith and not my sight? Guys, God often doesn't show up in the way that we think he should or the way that he ought to. But that doesn't mean that he didn't show up. Not one miracle in this entire book uh, book of Ruth. And yet, 
through the dexterity of God's sovereign hand, something that in theological terms we call providence, um, through, through the dexterity of his sovereign hand, this book is moving us closer and closer to the fulfillment of the promise contained in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You know what that is. Genesis 3.15 is the first place that the gospel shows up. It's called the Proto-Evangelion, the, the, uh, the first gospel in Genesis 3.15. And through the events recorded for us in this book known as Ruth, we are moving slowly, silently closer to the fulfillment of that promise. Redemption is unfolding And no one seems to be aware of it. <laughs> no one is, is particularly or peculiarly uh, 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 cognizant that, that these things that are happening are moving us in the scheme of redemption. God is moving silently in the ordinary. And step by step, he's bringing his redemptive plans to pass. And he is doing that through two destitute female outcasts. Through those two women... God is paving the way to, to accomplish his promised salvation. This story, folks, in the book of Ruth, is a part of the bigger story of how God will save his people through a savior. Now, I, I'm, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but go, go back to the story. Um, the, the suspense in the story is building. And the narrator does that by finally introducing us to this guy by the name of Boaz. And, and, he, and he does it very dramatically um, by, by calling for our attention when he says, Behold! That's how verse 4 opens. It's, it's, he's introducing... This key player in the whole story, and he calls for our attention by saying, Behold, Boaz. And very soon after that, you find him in a conversation with the heroine of the story. And, and, and as, you, as you begin to see the story developing, you begin to sense all over again, Mmm. Aslan, <laughs> Aslan is on the move. Boaz is finally on the scene. He has finally moved center stage. And quite a man is this Boaz guy. But quite a woman is this Ruth woman. You know, guys, um, good writing um, good, good fiction, great novels. 
They, they all have this in common. That the authors of those works are masters at character development. Um, but they normally take a couple of 300 pages to develop their characters. The author of this story develops his characters in a matter of a handful of verses. But that's what you're getting in this section of the story. You're getting character development. You're seeing, you're finding out things about the hero and the heroine. And that's what I want to be our first point this morning. We're going to look at those two key players. We're going to look at the, the, the hero and the heroine. And we're going to look at the heroine first. We're going to take a look at Ruth. Now, now remember, guys, a couple of three or four weeks ago, I, I suggested to you that Ruth was this converted Moabitess, and it's demonstrated in verse 16 of chapter 1. I'm suggesting that that was the conversion of Ruth. You may, rec- you may remember that. <clears throat> so um, the, the first thing we find out about this this converted Moabite, she's left Chemosh and the Moabite gods behind. She's turned to embrace the, the, the covenant God of Israel. And, and one of the things that you see frequently in this little section of the story is that she has been reduced to this, this exhilarating humility. Um, and, and you see it in numerous ways. Now, guys, that humility... That I, that I want to show you is one of the surest marks of a converted man or woman. Be- becoming a Christian reorients your view of yourself. And you see that in her. First of all, you, you, I didn't read this in my text this morning, but in verse 2 of chapter 2, it says there that she wants to go find a place of grace. She says that again in verse 10. She says something like that again in verse 13. Now, I know that your English translations use the word favor. The New King James uses the word favor. The ESV uses the word favor. But let me tell you a little bit about that word. The Hebrew word is the word gain. And, and although... The word, the English word grace does not appear very frequently in the Old Testament. Every time it does appear in the Old Testament, it's the word gain. There's, there's one place where another word is used, which is normally translated supplication. But every other time in the Old Testament that you find the word grace, you find the same word gain. The one that she uses is in, and is translated, in our translations, is the word favor. Ruth is looking for a place where she can find, where she can find grace. She wants to be in a place where what she gets, she knows, is a gift. Not something that she earned. Um, and so she goes to her mother-in-law. 
And she says, let me go, let me go glean in a place where I can find grace. And, 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 and Naomi doesn't say this, but wonder, I wonder if she thought there, there is no place like that. I mean, this, this is a dog eat dog world, honey. I mean, you eat, you eat what you kill. You get what you earn. And besides, we haven't had a harvest around here in 10 years. You think someone is going to be eager to enforce gleaning laws for a Moabite? Uh, not, 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 uh, not, uh, not going to happen. Well, that's, uh, that's money out of his pocket. I mean, uh, you, you know, you get what you can and you, you can what you get. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, that this book opened by telling you that this story takes place in the days where the judges ruled. That was a period where everybody did what was right in his own eyes. But even in those days, Ruth wants to find a place where she can, where she can experience more grace. Why? Because I think this is a woman who has tasted grace for the first time in chapter one. And she's been overwhelmed by the beauty of grace. So I want to go someplace where I'm going to find more of that. You, you see her um, in verse seven. She asks for permission from the, then the, the reapers whether she can glean. She, um, um, when the law, by the way, required it of, her, of people, she asked for permission. She even asked for permission from her mother-in-law to go in the first place. But she's willing to be told no. That, that's, hard for, that's hard for us men types. We don't ever want anybody telling us no. Um, don't get in my way. She, she starts with this, could I glean here? And you'll notice in verse 7 also that she takes up her place behind the reapers. She knows her place. She's grateful for the chance. I'm just glad to be here. And then in verse 9, when Boaz tells her that she can drink out of the water pots that the guys drink out of, what that suggests is that she's been going back into the village to drink at the city village well because she's not going to take prerogatives that are not her own. Guys, um, your, her work ethic is mentioned in verse um, 31. She sounds like a Proverbs 31 kind of woman. She works hard. She rests a little. And, and this is a woman that has, that has recently converted. That's what conversion has done to her. You know, to glean it all was a was to humble oneself folks to glean was to say to your everybody listening that I'm a pauper I have nothing but never do you see her whine she's so surprised in verse 10 that that Boaz has noticed her in verse 13 she 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 calls herself a chief kala which is a which is the lowest of the low you know, gang, conversion changes us. It, um, it puts us on a different path. All of that, 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 that carnal bravado 
stuff. That goes. Maybe not all at once. But, but conversion, indeed, becoming a Christian changes my view of God, but it also changes my view of myself. And that's what I'm pointing out about her. Here's a woman that doesn't have a, a self-assertive, um, demanding rights bone in her body. I want to be in a place, she says, where I know that everything that I get, I got it by way of a gift. And then, of course, along comes Boaz. Um, And in verse 4, as I told you a minute ago, um, it's like the narrator says, Ta-da! May I introduce to you the hero, behold, Boaz. The hero has arrived. And a hero he is in every way. Guys, I made this observation that I'm about to make again. I made it to you several years ago. It's not mine. It came from a guy by the name of Robert Alter, who is a professor. I think he's at Berkeley. Uh, but he's Jewish. He's an Old Testament Hebrew scholar. And Robert Alter makes this observation. He says, the first line that comes out of the mouth of a person in biblical narrative is a message about the character of that person. Remember, it was years ago, I know you won't remember that, but years ago it was in our, the, the series on idols. And, and I, I drew your attention to Genesis 30 verse 1 where Rachel, uh, her first sentence out of her mouth, Rachel says, give me children or I die. That's the first words, her sp- first spoken words. And Robert Alter is saying is the, the first sentence that comes out of a person's mouth is the, 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 the author is telling you something about his character. Do you see what's the first words that come out of Boaz's mouth? <laughs> his first words are, the Lord be with you. And he says that, folks to a group of field hands. Boaz becomes the giver of the grace that Ruth was hoping to find. He provides for her. He protects her. He says, uh, you know, I told those guys to keep their hands off of you because you know those guys. And these days, everybody's doing what's right in his own eyes. But none of that was required of law, by law of him. And, and guys, look at verse 12. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Who talks like that? I mean, just that one statement, ladies and gentlemen, if that's all you had about Boaz, what kind of man would you say he is? And then in verses 14, 15, and 16, it's mealtime, and he showers her with food. Here, take some more, and take some more, and dip it in here, and use that, and you know, on and on, because, the, because grace has made him a giver. He, like Ruth, takes joy in yielding all that he is and all that he has to the Lord God of Israel. 
That grain that I'm giving you, lady, God gave it to me in the first place. And so you see this humility in both of them. It's not vague. It's, it shows up in actions. It shows up in words. It shows up in relationships. On display in this character development section is two people on whom grace has made a significant impact. And when it does, you begin to act something like this. Do you see any of this in you? Any of this exhilarating humility? Because conversion produces it. Not all at once, but little by little. I am... I have my view of God changed and I have my view of myself changed. And the second thing that I, or second point in the, that I want you to see is this, this conversation that they have. It starts in verse eight, verse eight. Boaz speaks and says, honey, you, you stay here. Um, uh, I'll protect you and I'll provide for you. And then she responds in verse 10 and verse 10 is just moving. It's moving guys. Look at it. She fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have I found gain in your eyes that you should take notice of me since, since I'm a foreigner? She knows that none of what she has just gotten is owed to her. She didn't earn any of it. Guys, no converted person ever talks about what they've earned. We don't talk about the things that God owes us. Just the opposite. In verse 10, she is overcome by a man who has taken notice of her. The, the unnoticed got noticed. That's grace, ladies and gentlemen. Every syllable of her, what she says, drips with gratitude. All coming from the mouth of a Moabite. And then his reply in verse 11. Um... He says, um, I mean, she says, she asks, why have you done this? And she, he says, well, it's been fully reported to me. I, I, I want to, for, for those of you who like this kind of stuff, I do, but not many of you will. The, in the Hebrew language, the, the, the fully reported is not in the Hebrew text. That's not what you find in the Hebrew Bible. What you find is this. You find showed, showed. When the Bible wants to emphasize something, it repeats it. What he says is, uh, the story about you, it was showed, showed. It was showed, showed to me. It was fully reported. I mean, the town is still buzzing about your faithfulness to your mother-in-law 
And that message has been showed. It was showed to me. You're asking why? Here's why. It was showed. It was showed to me. It was shown to me. Of, of your faithfulness to your mother-in-law. I've heard about you. And the thing that strikes me the most is that you're a Moabite, for heaven's sakes. And, and you, as a Moabite, have discovered the beauty of Israel's covenant-keeping God. He's impacted. Maybe by her beauty. Maybe she's gorgeous. Dex never says that. But I think the thing that impacts him the most is this Moabite, my God, is her God. Uh, God in his saving wonder has brought a Moabite. Israel's veteran enemy has brought a Moabite to himself. I've seen your, your humility, lady. And I know that our God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I know that everyone who's exalted, he will humble. And those who humble, he will exalt. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to be like him. And as one for whom Yahweh has done so much, I get to serve him by serving you. <laughs> here's, the, here's the scene, ladies and gentlemen. Two lovers of grace standing out in the middle of a field chatting. And who would have dreamed where this would all lead? Grace was rare in those days. It's rare in our day. Um, taking in, providing for, protecting the outsider the undeserving. You know what that sounds like to me, ladies and gentlemen? That sounds like the gospel. And to do all that, God sent Ruth a man. And you know what? God sent us a man too. And Boaz is a type of that man. Boaz is a type of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, let me show you and I'll quit. The, the, one of the things in, in verse 8, I don't know whether you notice this, but he calls her daughter. Now, she may have been a good deal younger than he, 
But Ruth is the destitute female, the vulnerable foreigner outsider. She is on the absolute bottom of the social scale. And Boaz, on the other hand, is the wealthy, connected, male, clan leader, property-owning insider. And he crosses all those barriers with one word. He calls her daughter. You know, wealth has a way of sometimes making you insensitive to the poor. But here, the rich not only identifies with the poor, but in a sense, he becomes the poor. So that the poor can become rich. You know, guys, um, in the uh, news media and in political circles, there's so much talk these days about economic and financial equality. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm saying that here, in this story, the way the outsider is dealt with is reflective of how... Jesus Christ deals with this outsider and with these outsiders. Boaz says to her, in essence, you'll be safe here, honey. Which is what Jesus promises all of his people. You'll be safe. Hidden in the shelter of Yahweh. In a matter of minutes, Boaz transforms Ruth's life. Just like Jesus has transformed ours. In this story, Boaz serves Ruth. Men don't serve women in this, in this culture. This is a patriarchal, male-dominated culture. But you see a man serving a, a woman, and not just any woman. He's serving a Moabite woman. The strong, serving the weak, just like Jesus. Verse 10, she says, I'm overwhelmed that you noticed me. The unnoticed gets noticed. She came that morning empty. And she goes home with an ephah. She goes home full. Reversing what Naomi said in verse 21 of chapter 1. Because Boaz took the empty and made her full. Like Jesus does with us. Boaz stoops to meet her needs like Jesus stoops to meet ours. Boaz stoops, he gives, he serves, he protects all to someone so low like Jesus has done in stooping to serve us. Guys, um, this book, this story is a story of redemption. 
It's a story of how the poor became rich. How? Well, because the one with unlimited resources has become poor. What Boaz could not do for Ruth, Jesus did. Boaz could not die in her place and pay for her sin. But the one to whom Boaz pointed would ultimately come and die for Ruth's sins and die for mine. What Boaz is, he's the one who points us to the one who is altogether lovely. Jesus Christ. Guys, if you read this story and you think it's a quaint little story about, then you miss the point of the story. If you, if you read this story and you conclude that it's about marital love, you, you, you missed it. If you read this story and you conclude that it's about how to deal with the poor, you missed it. Because what this story is, it's another in a long line of, of Old Testament stories describing God's covenantal love for Israel, culminating in the sending of his son to pay for the sins of his people. Go read it again. And this time, let it say to you, not behold Boaz, Let it say, behold, Jesus. Our Father, I thank you that you remind us at every nook, out of every corner of this book, you remind us of your covenant faithfulness, your steadfast love to your people that all um, culminated in what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. Now, Father, would you remind us of the beauty of the gospel through this story, remind us of our great hero, the one who is altogether lovely, the one who can and did die in our place. Would you remind us of him? Would you show us him in all of his beauty? We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.